Okay, 1 Samuel chapter 8. When Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons as Israel's leaders. Names of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of his second son was Abijah, and they served at Beersheba. But his sons did not follow his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain and accepted bribes and perverted justice. So all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. They said to him, You are old, and your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. But when they said, Give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So you prayed to the Lord. And the Lord told him, Listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. As they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are doing to you. Now listen to them, but warn them solemnly. Let them know that their king who will reign over them will claim as his rights. Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking for a king. He said, this is what the king who will reign over you will claim as his rights. He will take your sons and make them serve as chariots and horses, and they will run from his chariots. Some he will assign to be commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties, and others to plough his ground and reap his harvest, and so others to make weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive groves and give them to his attendants. He will take a tenth of your grain and of your vintage and give it to his officials and his attendants. Your male and female servants and the best of your cattle and donkeys he will take for his own use. He will take a tenth of your flocks and you yourselves will become his slaves. When that day comes, you will cry out for relief from the king you have chosen, but the Lord will not answer you in that day. But the people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said, we want a king over us. Then we'll be like all the other nations. We have a king to lead us and to go out before us and fight our battles. When Samuel heard all that the people said, he, repeat, he repeated it before the Lord. The Lord answered, listen to them and give them a king. Then Samuel said to the Israelites, everyone go back to your own town. Thanks very much indeed. And uh, if you've got that piece of paper in front of you, Maybe the pastor on your phone. Do keep it open as we look at it together. Uh, let me just briefly uh, remind you or let you know how we do our preaching at Trinity. You might be interested to know. So um, every academic year, we choose some shorter sections of the Bible. So later on uh, in 2021, we're going to be looking at the book of James, uh, or we'll be looking at a section from Matthew's Gospel. But as well as that, we have a book of the year, and our book this year is called One Samuel. It's all about the search for a king. So we're going to pray as we begin that this part of the Bible would leave us celebrating God's Messiah King, Jesus Christ, who we know the generous King that he's provided. Let's pray then as we begin. Let's pray. Father God, you know, every single one of us individually, you can see right into our hearts and and, and you know where we're coming from and, and whatever's on our mind at the moment. Uh, and you love us very deeply. And, and you know, Father, that all of us, in some sense, uh, are looking for a leader. We're looking for a, for a king. And I pray, Father, that you, you carry on speaking to us as a church and as individuals through the book of 1 Samuel. Remind us, uh, Father God, that it is not by strength that one 
prevails, that you bring down the proud and that you raise up the humble. Please speak to us again and give us the humility to hear what you're saying to us as we listen to your words. And we pray these things very dependently in your name. Amen. Uh, well, it's great to have uh, some of our scramblers and explorers and a teams group uh, with us here this afternoon. Um, uh, some of the younger ones, I think you've got a worksheet to do, but just before you do that, uh, let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question. I, I don't know whether you ever get a little bit frustrated. I'm just sort of guessing here. Um, do you ever get a little bit frustrated? Yeah, okay, yeah, I'm getting some nods. Just, just a bit annoyed with your parents? I don't know whether you ever feel that, um, because sometimes they just won't give you the thing that you want. Have you ever experienced that? They just won't give you what you, what you really want. I don't know whether it's, um, whether it's a game on your PlayStation, or uh, if you want to go to a party uh, they're not so keen on, or, or whether, it's, whether you want one of those electric scooters. Have you ever wanted one of those? I'll tell you, I, I wouldn't mind one actually. But in the end, you just get so frustrated that you can't really talk to your parents at all. You just have a big blazing row. And you're in danger of, of losing what you really need, which is to get on with your family, because of what you really want. Anyone been in that situation? Yeah, okay. Well, it's probably not a secret if you're a scrambler or an explorer that you sometimes felt a bit frustrated with your parents. But I'll tell you something that is a secret. That sometimes your parents, that's people like me, sometimes those of us who are parents treat God the same way. Okay? Your parents treat God the same way. And that's if, um, that's if 1 Samuel 8 is to be believed. It's for any of us who have ever fallen out with God because he hasn't given us the thing that we most wanted, okay? And in 1 Samuel, it isn't an electric scooter, you won't be surprised to know, it's a, it's a king just like everybody else. Okay, that's what they really want. Have a look down at verse 19 of 1 Samuel chapter eight. 1 Samuel eight, verse 19. This is what the people say. I told Matt to shout this if he wanted to. Okay, in verse 19, but the people refused to listen to Samuel no, they said, we want a king over us, then we shall be like all the other nations with a king to lead us and go out before us and fight our battles. They're so frustrated, everyone else has got one. And they're in danger of losing what they really need, which is a relationship with their God, in order to get what they really want. Now let me just take you through the story of chapter 8, just, just so we really get in our heads what's going on in the story. Then we're going to see two main things that it's teaching us. So have a look down at 1 Samuel chapter 8. And we're in a country called Israel, and uh, we're in the 11th century BC, 1100 years before Jesus comes. That's when it all happens. And, and the leader of God's people, Samuel, he's, he's been doing really well. But a bit like me, he's getting, he's getting a bit old. Okay, I've got a significant birthday coming up in 2021. And uh, so the elders come up to him in verse 5, and they're quite blunt. Okay, you probably don't want to say this to someone, but they say to him, you are old. 
Okay, it comes in verse 5, you are old. I, I can imagine the elders saying that to me, but thankfully not the next bit. They say, you are old and your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. Now, there's nothing wrong with asking for a king, but they've chosen a very bad reason to ask for a king, you see. They're kind of saying everyone else has got one. Can I just say that for Christians, that's never a good reason. Okay, that, that, that's never going to work. And what does Samuel do? How does he respond? Verse 6, he's a bit upset. So he immediately prays. That's a good instinct, isn't it? Verse 6, but when they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So, so therefore he prayed to the Lord. Just like lots of other people in the Bible, Nehemiah, Daniel, you can think of others, he immediately falls on his knees. Because he knows, and God confirms it in verse 7, they're rejecting God as, a, as their king. They're losing the, they're rejecting the person they most need because of what they most want. So Samuel, in, in verses 10 to 18, he gets up and he warns the people what it's like to have a king like everyone else has. And, and the key word is take. James, that comes again and again and again. The key word is take. Verse 13, he will take. Verse 14, he will take. Verse 15, he will take. Verse 17, you've probably guessed it. He will take. If, if you have a king like everyone else, God's saying, then he's going to become a dictator and he'll claim a lot of things as, as his rights and it'll be a nightmare that you just can't wake up from. Verse 18, when that day comes, you'll cry out for relief from the king you've chosen, but the Lord will not answer you in that day. Have you ever had a nightmare you can't wake up from? Go back to sleep and you're just in the same dream all over again. But still, verse 19, still the people say they want a king. This time it isn't a request. They're not going to ask politely. They're going to make a demand. They've moved on. Verse 19, no, we want a king. And in the end, God says to Samuel, okay, give them what they want. All right, that's the way that the chapter works. But what's it there to teach us? That's the thing. What's it there to teach us? I'd, I'd love to stop and ask you. That would be a great thing to do one Sunday, wouldn't it? We probably can't in tier four. One of these days, I'd love to stop and ask you what you thought this passage was here to teach us. But let me just suggest a couple of ideas and then um, join the Zoom group later on and tell me if you agree. Okay? And you'll see uh, these two things written inside the service sheet if you want to make some notes just inside on, on the middle middle section. One simulator is there to teach us, I think, firstly, that there is a subtlety to our idolatry. Okay, there's a subtlety to our idolatry. Let me, um, let me show you what I mean. So in verses 1 to 3, God's people start to feel a bit threatened uh, because um, you know that feeling when good things are coming to an end? They're getting that feeling that chapter 7 went very well, but now it's coming to an end. And Samuel's sons are just depressingly like Eli's sons, if, if you remember them. Uh, the best of leaders can sometimes have the worst of children. Yeah? Unfortunately, that's true. But, but God's people are feeling threatened, so they do what we do under pressure. 
which is that they run to their idols, to the things that make them feel safe. Like, like we might do when things go wrong for us. You know, we, we go shopping or we check how many likes we've got on Facebook or, or we dream about a holiday somewhere hot and uh, book one for 2036 or whenever it is we're going to be allowed to, to leave the country. But, but look at where God's people go. Look at the idols they run to. Yeah, they, they want to be like other people. We've seen that in verses 5 and 20. They want to be like the other nations. They're just sick of being different. But there's something deeper than that. And you can see it in verses 7 and 8. Verses 7 and 8 particularly. These are the key verses that show us what's going on. Have a look down at those verses. 1 Samuel 8, verses 7 and 8. And, and God's talking to Samuel. And it, it's, it's always interesting when you're looking at a, a bit like 1 Samuel, which is sort of talking you through some history. It's always worth looking out for God's explanation of events. Okay, this is God's explanation, verse 7. The Lord told him, that Samuel, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they've rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. Verse 8. As they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods. That's the idolatry. And serving other gods, so they are doing to you. Their instinct under pressure is to forsake the Lord and to serve other gods. And that means that every time that I am just sick of being different as a Christian, every time I, I duck a question or I miss an opportunity because I don't want to seem weird, and, and let me tell you, that happens very often, when I turn away from that clear call in the Bible to be utterly different from the people round about me, that, that, that clear call in the Bible to radical non-conformity, when I just want to fit in, when that's driving my decisions, then there's a sense in which I've rejected my God as king and I've made an idol called acceptability. Yeah? And desperately, it's the same for the church. It's the same for the church. When, when, the, when the church rejects the call to radical non-conformity on ideas like sexuality or, or the distinctiveness of Jesus Christ as opposed to someone like uh, Mohammed, when the church rejects that call and, and, and just becomes another pressure group promoting action on the environment or fair trade, or, or, or just as another sort of means of therapy telling you that you're a very, very special person and that you're totally amazing. If that's the only message, then there's a sense in which we've rejected God as our king and put together an idol called relevance. Such a subtle thing, though. So subtle. There's a subtlety to our idolatry. So back in chapter 7, verse 4, there was this amazing moment uh, where the people sort of turned away very clearly from, from other gods. Uh, you might have it in front of you, but don't worry, I'm going to read it out to you. Chapter 7, verse 4, it says, The Israelites put away their Baals and their Ashtoreths, and they served the Lord only. That was a great day, okay? It's like a, a little while ago, a few years ago, uh, we had 
uh, four Sundays running where we heard from someone who very explicitly turned away from another God to serve Jesus Christ. Uh, one used to be a Buddhist, one used to be a Muslim, one belonged to the Jewish faith, and one was a card-carrying, Dawkins-following, secular atheist. And anyone else remember those stories? Do you remember those, do you remember those weeks? It was a little while ago now. That was a fantastic few weeks where people said they very explicitly turned away from serving those other gods to serve the God of the Bible. But, but we can publicly put away our other gods, but then just smuggle in something else in their place, like um, acceptance or approval or popularity or relationships. It's so subtle. It's so, so subtle. So. Let me show you from another part of the Bible. If, if you go back to Deuteronomy uh, uh, chapter 17, if you've got the Bible on your phone, have a look back there. But don't worry, I'm going to read that to you. Deuteronomy 17, 14. Then Moses says it's, it's okay to have a king. It's interesting, isn't it? He's talking to the, to the people uh, just as they're about to go into the promised land. He says, it's okay to have a king. This is what it says. This is what he says. When you enter the land the Lord your God is giving you, and have taken possession of it and settled in it, and you say, let us set a king over us like all the nations around us, be sure to appoint over you a king the Lord your God chooses. He must be from among your fellow Israelites. Do not place a, for a foreigner over you, one who is not an Israelite. The king, moreover, must not acquire great numbers of horses for himself or make the people return to Egypt to get more of them. For the Lord has told you, you are not to go back that way again. What? What's Moses saying? He's saying that it's okay for them to have a king as, as long as that king goes on to make you distinctive from other nations. Can you see that? It's okay to have a king as long as he makes you distinctive from other nations. What Israel wants, verse 20, is a king that's going to make them identical with other nations. So subtle, isn't it? You can want the right thing for the wrong reason. We can want a career or a family or money in the bank for the wrong reasons. We can want things that are good, but it's just as Nathan was saying the other day, the danger is that we make something that's good ultimate, and that's when it becomes our idol. It's so subtle. We take something that's good and we make it ultimate. And that's where we've gone wrong. But, but just like Samuel says here, that the, one of the problems with idols is they're just going to bleed us dry. That, that's what the king that, that Israel wants is going to do in, in, in verses 10 to 18. And that's what idols always do. They will take and they will take and they will take and they will take. So you think of the person who worships their work. And their boss says to them, um, I just need you to, to work a few weekends to meet the deadline. And then the deadline passes. And then they say, I just need you to work a few more weekends. And, and, and then that person might be there physically at meal times, but they're not really, not really concentrating on what people are saying. And, and they're going off to the loo and they're answering a few more emails. And, um, and then they're saying that the train was delayed when really they were stuck at their desk. And so they start sort of um, lying. Um, and then. Uh, and then their kids start feeling ignored, 
and then, and then they start feeling like their dad's never there, and then their marriage's in trouble, and then there's the divorce, and then there's the custody battle. You see, idols just take and take and take and take, just like t- verses 11 and 13. This, this king who's become an idol for Israel will take people's sons and daughters. <laughs> and the idol of work can take away our family. I know companies in London that prefer you to be divorced because then your family's less of a distraction. Idols are so cruel. They will bleed you dry. Well, you think of that Christian who's lost all of their distinctiveness because they know that no one in their right minds talks about God in, in polite conversation. And, and few people are going to like a, a post on social media that's openly Christian. And, and, and they just want to become like the people around about them. And, and soon the idol called popularity has bled them dry of all of their Christian witness. Idols bleed us dry because they promise us all kinds of things, but they won't look after us in the way that the God of the Bible will. They don't have your best interests at home. That's the first thing to learn. There's a subtlety to our idolatry. But there's a second warning too, and it's, and it's briefer, but it's just as important, and that's that there's a danger in getting what we want. There's a danger in getting what we want. Let me show you that too. Uh, do you want to know two of the strangest verses in 1 Samuel chapter 8? Let me show them to you, see if you can make sense of them. They're both to do with the word listen. So um, the first one comes in verse 7. So Samuel's had this request for a king and he knows that it's all wrong. It's all wrong. Okay. And so he prays to the Lord and the Lord says to him in verse 7, listen to all that the people are saying to you. Listen to all of it. Well, come, come down to verse 21 because a similar thing happens but it's more extreme. When Samuel heard all that the people said, he repeated it before the Lord. The Lord answered, listen to them and give them a king. You're probably thinking, why would God do that if he knows that it's a bad idea? Answer, because sometimes God treats us like grown-ups and he gives us what we want. That is a terrifying thing. These people have forgotten how amazing their God is. He's he's just fought a battle for them in chapter 7. But they've forgotten that. And now they're praying for a a puny human king who would fight their battles instead. That's what they say in verse 20, isn't it? And it wasn't right, but they got what they asked for. That's frightening. And and sometimes we keep longing for something, and and it's clear from the Bible that it isn't right, but we, we keep longing for it. And we might convince ourselves that it's what we need. And we might start to feel at peace about wanting it. We might even pray for it. And it might be that God gives us what we ask for, even though it will do us no good. That's frightening, isn't it? So I remember watching something happen when I was, um, when I was a teenager. I, I went to the same camp for several years running. 
And there was a leader at that camp that I knew. And uh, it was way back when, as you can imagine. And um, it was during the sort of dot-com bubble and he worked for Sun Microsystems. And he was, um, he was very, very ambitious. He was a clever guy. And he was desperate to climb the ladder and he told us that. And he made it big. He made it big. And I remember him turning up to camp. He gave me a ride in his very, very expensive sports car. And he told me about his very, very expensive flat, full of very, very expensive kids. And I saw, even as a teenager, I, I guess I'd only been a Christian for a few years, but I saw that it was doing him no good at all as a Christian. And it was a warning to me. Sometimes God gives us what we ask for, even though it will do us no good. Because it's the only way that we will learn. And it makes you think, doesn't it, as you look back, all those prayers that God answered no, and I prayed many of those over the years, let me tell you, there must be many hidden mercies in there, mustn't there? Many ways in which God has been kind to us in not giving us the things that we we're asking for. Well, 1 Samuel 8 has a very clear message. There's a, there's a subtlety to our idolatry in, in, in the way that we think that it's God who's enslaving us and it's our idols that will set us free. And, and, and we get so secretly jealous of all the things that non-Christians are allowed to do, yeah, as if, as if that's real freedom. It's so subtle. And there's a real danger in getting what we want. We need to guard our hearts and we need to be careful what we long for because we don't want to learn the hard way. And that's where we leave the book of 1 Samuel till next week. It's a sorry, sorry tale. Until the way that as we follow 1 Samuel through King Saul gives way to King David and God brings down the proud and lifts up the humble. And then as we follow the Bible through, King David gives rise to king after king after king all the way down 11 centuries until in the Lord's kindness he brings an even better king than David, a promised king. And the Lord Jesus Christ doesn't take and take and take and take and take. He gives and he gives and he gives and he gives and he gives. He's the generous king. If you're not yet a Christian, you might be surprised by that. You may not know that. That Jesus Christ is there for what he can give you, not what he can take away from you. To the extent that he too was rejected by, by wicked men. And, he, and, and he, he didn't even stop at giving his life in order to, to rescue us, you see. So that we could be forgiven for all of our idolatry, all of our mixed motives, all the ways which we've so subtly rejected God and, and dodged the question and, and missed the opportunity. So we can be, give, be forgiven for all those things. All the ways that idolatry has grabbed our hearts as a local church and, and as a national church. And we've become indistinct from the culture around us. And, and this king says, I will teach you not to be conformed to the pattern of this world, but to be transformed as your true and proper worship. But first come back to me and know that you are forgiven. Just so I finish, I don't know whether you've had the chance to reflect on the year. People often do that in January, don't they? Around this time of year, they look back on the year gone. 
and they have a think about it. This is what one Christian in history wrote on New Year's Eve 1767. Okay, New Year's Eve 1767. This is, this is what he wrote. There are that I know of, but two things worth living for. Number one, to further the cause of God and therefore glorify him before the world. Number two, to do good to the souls and bodies of men. And then he wrote, upon a review of the last year, I desire to confess that my unfruitfulness has been exceeding great, my sins still greater, and God's mercies greater than both. Let's pray that we'd have the same confidence in God's mercy from the generous King. Let's pray together. Father God, you know that there's a great subtlety to the many, many ways in which we can reject you as king and serve other gods. You know how desperately we want to fit in, how little we want to be distinctive. But we know, Father, that in you, in your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, we have a deeply generous king. And so I pray, Father God, that in him we would know what it means to be transformed as an act of true and proper worship. But I pray most of all we'd know what it means to be forgiven by him. We ask these things in his name. Amen.